Well, it was a challenging week, I know, for a lot of people. We had um, canceled some things here at the church because some, uh, just enough people were down. It was going to make it pretty tough for us to pull off what we wanted to do. And so um, it's good to see you folks that are here. We're, we're missing some other people. And I know uh, a few of the things that are going on. I don't know all, all of that, but it is good that you all made it out. But here's what we wanted to take some time to, to look at here today. Because as, is, as it has been a difficult week, and sometimes we have... Um, felt under the, the weather, either you know, facing some sickness and diseases or things like that that are going on, or just other life situations. I know all those kind of things have been going on here this week. So what should we think if something that we should have the victory over seems to have defeated us? Because we know that sickness and disease is under our feet. And yet sometimes, especially this week, Folks, I saw people falling under the sickness and disease thing who, uh, even when they're sick, don't fall under it. <laughs> they, were, they were down. And, uh, and that's, what, what, do, what do we do with that? Well, how, do we, how do we face that in the, in the Scriptures? And so that's what we're going to take on. We're still in the same series that we're in. We're just uh, taking a little detour, just a slight detour, but still pretty much on some of the same, same topics here. And just going to spend some time to get us, get us ready for this. Because if we're not careful, the enemy can undermine our faith and he can... Uh, Primus for some defeat down the road. And we don't want him to be able to, to do that. Last week we were looking at Jesus turning water into wine. And we saw, the, of course, the famous phrase that was said, whatever he says, do it. And those guys, they did it. <laughs> they were good. I don't know if we would have been as good as they were. I'd like to think so. But I don't know until you're, until you're there. How many, people, how many people are up on Facebook how many people are disobedient and are not up on Facebook just yet? A <laughs> couple of people out there. All right. Y'all need to get with the program. I've, I put a little uh, video up there that I, I was laughing at. I thought this was hysterical. But if you weren't there, you can go up on my, my uh, page and, and find it. But there was this uh, bridge out in China that's glass bridge that uh, goes along the mountain and then goes over a, a ravine, you know, huge drop down. But it's glass so you can look straight down. And some people are so gripped with fear when they go over these glass bridges that they can't move. But this particular one, the engineers had a little uh, extra that they put in it. So if you didn't see it, go up there and you can check it out. Because I put this note in there that says, I don't know how I would react if I didn't know what was going to happen. I don't know. I, I'd like to think I would, ha- I would react with dignity in class. <laughs> I would like to think that. But I just don't know. Because the way they, they did this was they took three of the glass panels in the bridge and instead of them being glass, they made them digital screens. And so as you're walking across, as you hit the first digital screen, it pretends or gives the image of a crack. And you see the person who's walking across, they hit the first one and it starts to crack underneath of them. And they respond kind of like what you would think. And they're trying to get a grip on something. And they slip one over to the second one. It begins to crack. And then over to the third one. And it begins to crack. And pretty soon you see this poor guy hanging on to the side of a bridge with his feet lifted up. (laughs) Afraid he is going to fall to his death. (laughs) And this is just kind of... It's it's, uh, programmed in that wherever your foot touches, that's where the crack starts. And it just keeps going as you... you, uh, touch the other ones there so I mean, <laughs> that is just downright nasty 
But you, you never know how you're going to respond to some of these things until you're actually in them. And so some of us found ourselves in, in the midst of some very challenging things in the area of health or, or other, other spots, and we don't necessarily know how we're going to respond until we're actually in there. So we wanted to spend some time on this and, and take a look at what kind of response should we have? Should we ever have things like this get us down? So when we were looking into turning water into wine, do whatever he says, we looked at the five stages of speech. First off, people say the things that I know. I speak what I know. I don't know if they're right, but I know them. That's not a very good uh, stage to be in. You need to get out of that stage. Then we begin to speak some of the things that I understand. All right, I've gone beyond just knowing it. I've pursued it, studied it, checked it out. The things that I understand. Then the things that I feel. Well, if I feel it, I'm going to say it. Then the things that I reason. We looked at the scriptures. The disciples reasoned in their mind. They said some things based on those reasons. That wasn't good. The final one is what is revealed. The disciples also spoke some things out of what was revealed. And that was a higher, much higher level. That's where we need to get to. We spent time on that there last week. But here this week, let's, let's take a look at these things. I put this in your outline first. We often operate in our strength and don't learn how to operate in His. Very often as Christians, we operate in our own strength. And we never learn how to operate through His. This is especially bad if my strength is good enough for a lot of things that I, I go through. If your strength is, as long as you go through what is, what is good enough for your own strength, you won't learn anything. You won't make yourself any better. You won't get into any kind of other realm if your strength is always good enough. Phrases like this will come out when we are... Met. Now, if, I, if you said this this week, I'm not trying to listen in on your conversations. <clears throat> this is just what happens. When I've gotten this place, this is some of the words that will come out of my mouth. Phrases like this, I can't take anymore, is a phrase that comes from you are operating at the end of your strengths. The strength source resource that you have, I can't take anymore. How about this one? I'm so tired. Why are you so tired? Because your strength is at its end. How about this? What more can I do? Because you don't know what else to do because you're operating at the end of your strength. Now, you can start filling in your own, but whatever kind of phrase that we have that is looking at us hitting the end. I can't go any further. I can't do anything more. I put everything into this that I can. Those are phrases that come from me operating in my own strength, not his. Remember that great scripture we put on our refrigerators? They will mount up with wings like people. People don't have wings. They will mount up with wings like eagles. So they will soar, not like people, but, but like eagles. People don't fly. We don't soar. We walk. Sometimes we run, but we don't fly. They will mount up with wings like eagles. And we know the rest of the, the verses there. But it's talking about you operating on a level outside of your own. 
But when we face these very difficult times and we seem to have gotten under, we don't talk like that. We don't talk like, I'm an eagle. I'm soaring above all. We talk like, I can't believe I... I, I can't believe I'm this sick. I can't believe that I'm this way. I can't believe I'm, I feel this weak. I can't believe I hurt this much. We say all these different types of things. <clears throat> when we get tired or discouraged, we tend to go back to old habits, don't we? Now, I, you can take this from just about any position that you want to. I'm going to take it from a musician's point of view because I am such a skilled musician. <clears throat> no, I'm not at all. I don't know anything about it, but this much I do know. No one comes out of the womb playing the piano. No one comes out of the womb playing the drums, the trumpet, the violin, any of those kind of things. So when you decide as a person, I'm going to play the piano, play the drums, play the clarinet, play the whatever it is you're going to play, then you pick up one of the instruments and you begin to play. Now, some people were smart and got a teacher right off the bat. Other people were not. They were not as smart. And they just began to strum on the, on the guitar, to play the flute. And when you do that, the thing that you can do very easily is develop bad habits. I don't know what a bad habit would be for a musician, because I'm not one. When I, my parents tried to get me to be a musician, they tried on the piano and they tried on the drums. Both were miserable failures because I did not like to sit and, and practice. So my bad habit as a musician was not practicing. I was very good at that habit. I did that habit every day. I did not like to practice because that would involve sitting. I wanted to be moving around, doing things and stuff like that. But you can develop bad habits. If you're a drummer, you can probably hold the drumsticks in an incorrect manner. And if you're a piano player, I don't know, Nikolai could tell us some bad habits. Are there bad habits that the piano players can have? Vanessa, is there bad habits? Are there bad habits you can have? Do you know some bad habits that are there? Yeah, do you try to avoid them? All right, so there apparently are some bad habits as a piano player. I don't know what they are, but they're, they're out there. You can do that. I'm sure if you played a woodwind instrument, there's the wrong way to blow into the instrument. And you can probably do that when you first pick it up. If you are a, a singer, this one I do know something about, not because I am a singer, just happen to have a little bit of knowledge in, in that area. When you begin to, to sing, you can, you can develop bad habits in that area. You can sing from the wrong place. Not singing, the, not singing from the from the uh, uh, down as, as deep as you should. Uh, you're not breathing when you're singing as well. You can do a lot of these, have these bad habits. But most of us will pick up singing without proper instruction. And so when we get proper instruction, they have to break us of the bad habits. Get those things, get those things out. As a Christian, when we first start learning to believe God, when we first start praying, when we first start asking God for things, we have developed some bad habits because generally we have jumped into asking God, to praying to God, to doing things in the spiritual realm without the proper instruction. 
And the proper instruction comes from the Word of God. And we just do what seems natural. Generally, folks, whatever seems natural is wrong. I learned that just from uh, athletics. In the area of athletics, anything that seems natural is probably wrong. That's just not a, not a good way to do it. And um, I was never an offensive lineman. But I've heard from offensive linemen that there's a wrong way to block. You can't just use your size and your muscle. There's techniques to learn. And if you learn these techniques, you can become a better blocker. I don't know what those techniques are. I've never had opportunity to learn, never had someone who would teach me. But I know that they exist out there. And if you do them in the wrong way, we're gonna have, you're not going to become all that you can be in that area. In the area of the Spirit, not all Christians put themselves under someone to help instruct them, someone to help mentor them, someone to get them into the Word of God to know. And so you, you uh, I was going to bring this over for you. I forgot about it. But um, we're going to change this. But for right now, it's still up there. If you go up on the church website, there's a spot that says prayer request. That is the most useless box, most useless place on the webpage that we have. And when we were talking about uh, doing some redo on the, on the webpage, I told him, it says, you can just take that and take it out. There is absolutely no reason to have that thing on there because the people, every single time I get a note, and I do get notes, not from you folks. None of you folks use it. Not a single person here in the church has ever clicked on, that I know of anyway, that I've seen, has ever clicked on that and said, I have a prayer request and put it in. There are nuts who have done it. And if they are listening right now on the YouTube or the whatever the thing, that's fine. Because they are just absolutely insane. They are so bad, most times I don't even reply to them. That's how bad they are. I mean, they are. I, I wanted to bring one in because one just came in over the, over the week, this last week, and I actually wanted to read it to you. Shame on me for forgetting to do that. I'll try and re- remember to, to go out. Maybe if, I'm, if I bring it in for the salt meeting, I'll, I'll read it for you. But it's just amazing the things that people will, will write. Pray that God changes my husband. And that's just how it starts. It gets worse. And they begin to list all this sort of stuff about their husband that is bad. My first thought is, what are you doing to him? Because if you have, if you have the ability to write an email like this, I can imagine what kind of things you are capable of doing when you're uh, by yourself with, with that person. Just, just hideous. Are the things they ask for God for. Ask God, pray God that will do... It will change my situation. Change God. Pray, pray that God will. And just the things they throw out. It's like, where do you get any scripture for asking God for this at all? This is the most ridiculous thing. So if I come over here at the, how many people are not going to make it for our, for our uh, cover dish? Anybody not going to make it? All right. Sorry, folks. Because we don't put that out on the, YouTube, on the Facebook. I'll try and bring it in on that and, and just give you an idea anyway what's, what's going to happen. Because it is, it is bad. These people not only don't have any instruction, they must have refused everything offered them. I mean, the very basic things of prayer are absent in every... I don't mean half of them, and I don't mean three-quarters of them, and I don't even mean nine-tenths of them. I mean 100% of the requests that come in, I sit there with my jaw on the floor saying, do people write this kind of stuff? Do they actually think this way? What in the world? It's amazing because we're not taking any instruction. We're not, we're not learning how to do it. Well, 
if you do learn how to do it, one of the things I've, I've, I've learned, and I learned this from, from running, because you know what? Even though you know how to walk eventually, you learn how to walk and you learn how to run, most people run wrong. Most people do not run correctly. They run wrong. I ran wrong. I love to run. I ran far. I ran wrong. And I got instruction. I got somebody who walked, who ran behind me and yelled at me for everything I did that was wrong. Because how you're lifting your legs, how you're standing in your posture, where your head is looking, how your arms are swinging, how you're breathing, all this affects it. And no one does it right. And so you have to be taught. You have to be taught how to breathe when you're running. You have to be taught how to think when you're running. You have to be taught how to swing your arms, how to lift your knees, not lift them too high, not lift them too, too short, where to stretch your legs out to, not take it out too far, not take it out too short, where to land, where you land on your feet has an impact on, on, on all this. And all these factors come in. And what I learned was that even though I was taught the right things to do, when my body got tired it would revert back to the other way. Constantly revert back to the other way. So when you learn that your arms are in a certain position down, and one of the first things you'll do when you get tired, you can tell if a runner's getting tired, is their arms go from the right position, they begin to come up. I don't know why it's harder to hold them up here. But they always seem to come up. And you can tell. And you'll hear somebody behind you, put, get your arms down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Shake them out, get them down. Because as soon as you get tired, you revert back to old habits. You revert back to the old ways of doing things. And this is what we do in our spiritual walk. One of the things the enemy likes to do is get you tired. Because if he gets you tired, he'll get you to go back to your old habits. If he gets you to go back to your old habits, you're going to quit doing the right things. I put this in your outline for you. Adversary or being stretched beyond what you can can push, I'm sorry, adversary are being stretched beyond what you can do, can push us back into, and they're not in your outline, they're in mine, because I didn't have enough room, I had to take some stuff out. Here's one of the things that they can do. Begging instead of asking in faith. When you first got born again, one of the things that you did in prayer was, well, you know, you just learn God's up there, he's going to hear your prayer. So what do you do? Oh, God, I need this. Oh, dear God, you know that I need... Oh, God, please help me. I need this. I need some... And you that's what it is that you need. And we beg and we plead that God would, would work. But then we, we learned, no, 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 no. Not begging, faith. Faith moves God. And so then we moved ourselves over into the area of faith. But then when we get tired, what do we do? We go back into the old stuff. We go back into begging. Uh, here's another one. Making deals instead of standing on the promises. When we first were born again, what kind of prayers do we make? God, if you will get me that new job, I promise I will tithe. Anybody ever made a prayer like that? God, if you can help me pay this bill, pay this mortgage so I don't get thrown out, if you'll do this, I will become an usher at church. We make deals. All right, God, here's, here's in it for you if you'll do this for me. But that's not in the Word. But we can fall back on doing those kind of things, but it's not going to help us. 
See, we get tired, we go back into making deals instead of just declaring and standing on the promises. Your endurance with faith principles must remain strong. You've got to get to that place where it can remain strong. Now, I'm going to go back to the musician's thing. When you were first a musician and you first played the guitar, when you first played the keyboards, when you first played the drums, when you first played the violin, whatever instrument you were playing, you probably had an endurance of playing that thing for 10, 15 minutes. Some kind of time, and I don't know, it depends on what it is that you're playing. I know guitars, uh, I know because somebody showed me, I don't know because I took guitar lessons. But I know when you do the guitar strings, that that, where, that, that hurts your fingers. Until your fingers can get a little calloused on there or develop some, some ability to, uh, to withstand that. Uh, I know that uh, if you're playing the trumpet, you've got to hold your lips in a certain way that will wear most people out. You've got to build up some endurance in, for that sort of thing. If you're banging on the keyboards there, playing on the keyboards, your fingers can get to be sore after a bit, I would imagine. And you have to develop some, some endurance with that. So whatever it is that we're doing, you develop some endurance. So you can't just go out and say, I'm going to play the piano, and I'm going to practice today for eight hours because we won't have the endurance for it. But as you practice for 15 minutes, practice for 30 minutes, practice for 45 minutes, practice for an hour, you begin to build up your endurance so that you can continue to, to go and to do that. Same thing with a singer. A singer, may, their voice may only work for 15 minutes when they first start and when they're trying to push at a certain high degree that they do as a, as a singer. Not just going out there and singing in the shower. We're talking, you know, doing some nice stuff. You've got to build up some endurance in that, in that voice to be able to go out there and begin to do those things. And it's the same thing with these principles of faith. You've got to develop some endurance. The only way that you develop endurance is to push beyond where you're comfortable. That's the only way that you can do it. If you want to walk three miles and all you can do right now is walk one mile, then you've got to walk that one mile and eventually push for a mile and a half. And then eventually push for two miles. And then maybe push for two and a half miles until you can finally get up to that spot of being at three miles that you want to walk. You've got to build up your endurance. It's not just going to come because you want it to. You've got to do some things. And if you build up your endurance that you can walk three miles at a time and then you stop doing it, what happens to your endurance? It will go away. It's not so good. And it's not just musicians and it's not just athletes. You folks that have gone through some of the medical profession. Brother Victor and I were talking about some of the study habits that he has to have and things he has to do. I do not have the endurance to study medical books for as many hours in a day as he has to study medical books. I don't have that endurance. I probably have 10-minute endurance. I could probably study one of his medical books for 10 minutes and I would retain one one-hundredth of what he does. But you see, he's built up his endurance in that area. But you see, as soon as anything pushes our endurance in the area of the spirit, we get all upset. Why is this, why is this pushing my endurance? Why is this pushing me beyond this, this ability? I don't like this. I put this in your, in your uh, outline for you. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Very familiar verse of scripture for you. Finally, my brethren, be strong where? In the Lord and in the 
power of His might. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Let's all say that together. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's what we're supposed to do. But as Christians, somehow we feel like we have to be strong in ourselves and in the power of our might. And when we get to a place where what we are facing is greater and we feel tired, we feel worn down, when I say, I can't take anymore, I can't do anymore, I'm done with this, I'm so worn out. What I'm saying is, I'm not working along this verse of Scripture. Because you may have had a tough week. How many people would say they had a tough week? There might not be sickness and disease, but you had a tough week. Appreciate both of you. <laughs> there, were some th- there were some things that went on that were tough this week for, for other people, I guess, beside, beside you folks. <laughs> it, was, it was a tough week. But if we hit that spot where I feel like what I am facing is greater than me, greater than my ability, greater than my faith, greater than what I can withstand, am I not saying I am not following this verse? Because did I face anything this week that God cannot, God cannot face? Did I face anything this week that Jesus had not already faced? And one. Then the Word of God say in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted. He's not a high priest who can't be sympathetic. He's a compassionate high priest because he was tempted in all ways such as we, yet without sin. So if he overcame all things being in this earth, if I'm strong in his might, Shouldn't I also be able to? If I feel like what I am facing is greater and I am worn down, is that not a testimony that says I am not going according to my strength? I am going, I'm sorry, I'm not going according to his strength. I'm going according to my strength. But we don't always like to hear that. But sometimes I just got to, you know what? I'm not doing it right. Something is wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be happening. All right, so how do I get back into the strength of God? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, of course, it's Ephesians 6.10, we just read. That and then it goes on and talks about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. So whose strength does Paul pray for them to be strengthened through? His. That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit. That might is His might. It is His strength. 
coming into you. If you had access to all the might, all the strength, and all the power of God, would you have felt like you couldn't go on? The reason we feel I can't go on, I can't keep pushing, I can't keep, is because I have reached the end of my strength. And if I haven't reached the end of my strength, I have reached the end of what I have learned to tap into as far as his strength is concerned. So how am I going to learn to tap into something more? Now, let's go on over to Mark chapter 5. Understand this. Not everything worked for Jesus the first time. In Mark chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Now here's just a side note on this. This man is not operating under human strength because people do not pull metal chains apart. So they would come with chains for the purpose of binding him. So they're not bringing these little frail little chains. They're bringing big chains that they expect would take a strong man like this and bind him. But he just pulled them apart. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now we're not diving into this whole encounter here. Just brought you here to this last verse. If you've been here around for a little while, you know that this verse breaks down this way. It does not say that he said to the man as in he said to him one time. But the particular aorist uh, tense that is involved here means he kept saying to him, come out. So it was not that he walked up and said, come out of him. And then waited for something to happen. He said, come out of him. And the demon spirits did not come out. And he said, come out of him. And the demon spirits did not come out. And he said, come out of him. And the demon spirits did not come out. And he said, come out of him. I don't know how many times he kept saying. I don't know if it was three times. I don't know if it was 13 times. I don't know if it was 30 times. I just know it was not once. Because you do not use a tense this way if that's what you're trying to convey. There is a way in the Greek to say you said it one time and that was it. And there's a way in the Greek to say you keep saying to him. And that's what it was. So imagine this. If you have a little disobedient little one in your family and they are acting up and they are doing some things and they're making all kinds of noise. Do you say to them, Johnny, be quiet. Is that what you say? 
No, you go up to Johnny. Be quiet. Johnny. Be quiet. Johnny. Look at me. Be quiet. You keep saying to him until such time as something happens, right? That's what's going on in this one. So it didn't work for Jesus the first time. Notice this though. Jesus doesn't break down and say, well, how come they didn't listen to me on the first time? I, I, I thought they would have listened from Jesus. But he doesn't respond that way. He says it a, se- a second time. He says it a third time. He says it a fourth time. He keeps saying to him. Now, granted, he didn't deal with this on a battle for days. He dealt with it in a matter of several minutes. But it didn't work on the first time that Jesus said, come out of him, that he came out. That's the thing that we know. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Just a side note, this tells you this man was not born blind. Because if the man was born blind, he would not know what trees look like. Nobody knew what men look like. And you couldn't compare one to the other. I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. So he said to him the first time, spit on the ground, put his hands on him. And then he asked and he said, do you see anything? And he said, well, I see a little bit. Men, they kind of look like trees. But they're walking around. Men are not supposed to look like trees. Something wasn't quite right. Jesus doesn't sit there and say, well, why didn't it work the first time? How come it only worked partially? He doesn't debate about any of that, does he? He goes after it again. Now what do you see? I, I, I see men looking like men and trees looking like trees. He saw clearly. Now, it didn't always work for his disciples. The disciples went out and they were amazed at first when the demon spirits were subject to them. But if you go up to Mark chapter 9, you find out that it wasn't quite the case. In verse 18, the man comes to Jesus and he said, I took my son to your disciples, but they could not cast it out. So they must have said, come out of him, and he didn't come out. And must have said again, come out of him, and he didn't come out. And must have said it again, come out of him. And it didn't come out. And eventually they stopped saying it. And they gave up. So the man brings it to Jesus. And then disciples later on, in verse 28, they said, how come we could not cast the demon out? And of course, Jesus answered the question and said, because of your unbelief. That was the reason that they couldn't do it. But it didn't work for them, did it? Now, here's one. If you're over here in the book of Acts, we spent some, a good bit of time on this particular aspect of it. But Paul was on a boat, and even though he said, I perceive that this, ver- this voyage will end in the loss of life and much cargo, they um, went on the trip anyway. And so Paul was out there in the sea, and it didn't take too long, once they departed, for them to be caught up in a storm. And they were caught up in a storm for about three weeks. Can you imagine being in a boat on the water and for three weeks 
be battered by a hurricane-type storm. Which kind of means, because those storms move around, that the boat was being moved with the storm. And it didn't move out of it. It just stayed there with it. Can you imagine being in a storm for three weeks? Now, if you were on a boat, and a hur- not, a, not a luxury liner, we're talking a boat. It's much smaller. You're on that smaller boat that's much more affected by the wind and the waves. And you were sailing on through. In fact, if you were with us in the book of Acts, we showed you that this particular boat was not meant for winter conditions. Winter conditions were more storm-like in this area. It was not meant to, to uh, go through them. So it was not a boat that was equipped to handle this type of a storm. But they were out there in it. If you were on a boat that was not equipped to handle a really nasty storm, and you were Paul, how many of you are praying? Anybody here, anybody here think Paul was praying on the boat? Their God. <laughs> I know what you showed me about this. You know I had no choice but to be here. Have this storm stop. Have this storm end. Have, I'm, I'm praying that. <laughs> God, I'm in, I can't do nothing with this thing. I need some help on this thing. I, we'd probably be out there taking authority over the storm. In the name of Jesus, I command you storm. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, we're speaking to the waves. We're doing everything that we know to do. And for three weeks, this thing battered him. Three weeks. Can you imagine having a cold or a flu for three weeks? I know some people had it for you know, part of a week. And that was enough, wasn't it? Can you imagine going through that battle for three weeks? And yet this is what Paul did. For three weeks he battled the storm. For three weeks he was on the bow. For three weeks he saw soldiers looking like, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if this is going to come through. For three weeks he heard the talk. For three weeks his sleep was interrupted. I don't know how well you sleep on a, on a boat in a hurricane-type storm. Up and down, up and down. I imagine it affects your eating. Now you're hungry. And you're tired because you're not sleeping. And more than likely, you're soaked. What do you think the odds are that someone on a boat in that time frame, or that, uh, that day and age, they, they were dry? They didn't have um, all those nice little little things. You know, North Face wasn't around them. Didn't have one of those nice water repellent type of a coats to get all that water off. You were just had whatever coats that they, they got there and you were soaked. Because you call, y'all can't just hide inside. You've got to take care of the boat. You've got to try and battle this, this storm. You've got to try and face what it is that you're, you're going against. And so picture this. Three weeks You are cold, you are wet, you are tired, you are hungry, you are sore. Probably might even be able to throw in discouraged. For three weeks. How many do you think you could endure that? I'll tell you what, I don't... It's kind of like the bridge. I'd like to think so, (laughs) but I don't know. Until the, I don't know if I have three weeks storm endurance in me. That's, that'd be a tough thing. Daniel waited on answer from the Lord for three weeks. 
God sent it. Didn't get to him. For three weeks, he waited on that. Abraham waited for 24 years for that promise to come around until Sarah finally got pregnant. 24 years. Now, he wasn't in faith. His endurance level was pretty low at the beginning, but eventually he got it to go better. Joseph, I think it was what, about 14 years, I think it was. Did we figure that out to be total? 14, 17 years, somewhere in that neck of the woods. He was, uh, he was enduring all this sort of stuff. That's a long time. Not seeing that come about. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore. So if you've done, done everything, you take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, having done all. How many felt like when the battle that you were facing that you had done all? You did everything you knew to do. You had the right confession. You asked God for the right things, just the things that the Word of God said to ask for, not other stuff. You weren't begging. You were staying in faith. You were commanding things to go. You were doing everything that you knew to do. And yet, it still continued to be there. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to Stand. And then he emphasizes it again. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand. Stand therefore. One of the things we sometimes lose focus in is that we just need, need to have some doggone good endurance. That you need to be able to stand. All right? I've had the right confession. I've spoken to the right things. I know what the Word of God says. I know what God's will is on this. I have done all these things, so what am I going to do? Stand, but what's the enemy want to get you to do? You need to look around. You're missing some kind of truth. You're missing something. Because if you did everything you're supposed to do, this thing should have gone. So something's wrong. You learned something wrong. You're not doing something right. No, sometimes, folks, you just need to stand. Like Paul did on the boat. He stood. He stayed there. He didn't go around despairing of life. He didn't go around saying, I can't take anymore. That's not in the Word of God. I know that it's not. The Word of God doesn't tell us that, but I know Paul. (laughs) We'll wait till we get to heaven. We'll find out what Paul did, but I guarantee you, Paul was not walking around there being discouraged, telling everybody, oh, I don't know if I can take anymore. Oh, just kill me. Just throw me over and kill me now. I I just don't want one anymore. We've got to stand in what we know to do. Standing in what you know when the battle doesn't seem to be going right is very difficult. How many will, will attest to that? <laughs> I don't seem to be winning this battle, but this is, this is what I know to do. Now, this is a trait that belongs to the best armies as well as the best teams. Now, this is not a team. There's a particular team we really don't want to talk about today. 
And so I am not going to talk about them. But it's not a team that wears green. But there was a particular team who was in the Super Bowl last year. And at halftime was losing pretty badly. How many of you were rejoicing at that moment? I was. My hand is up. I was rejoicing. I was very glad. There was joy in my heart. Not that I was a fan of Atlanta, but I was definitely a fan of a certain team not winning. (laughs) But when they came out of the locker room, they didn't lose their composure. They still did the same things that they were trained to do, that they were told to do, and they kept executing. And one by one, they worked their way back. The better teams don't give in and lose their discipline. The better armies don't lose their discipline either. One of the things that... How many of you all like to read Revolutionary War or different war? I love reading history on those things. One of the things that you will find out during the Revolutionary War was the thing that, that was against us, the Americans is that most of our armies were not as trained or as disciplined as the British. And under fire, they would falter. They would leave their post. They would collapse a line. They would do things that they were not supposed to do. They're not part of the plan. Whereas the British, even though they were falling, they held their ranks. They continued to do what they were supposed to do. And they're very hard to defeat because of the discipline that they had. Our troops had to learn how to have that discipline. And if you read any of the history, you know that there was the army and then there was the, um, the militia. And if you had a militia, they knew militia units over here, army units over here, this one's going to give in before this one will because they're not as trained. And if they see adversity, what would happen to the militia? They generally fell apart. Because they weren't used, to, they didn't have the discipline. What we have to do as armies of the Lord is to develop a discipline. That when the enemy comes and he tries to flank us, when the enemy comes and he's trying to gain victories, that I don't drop, I don't drop my confession, I don't drop my faith, I don't drop my belief, I don't pick up unbelief. I continue to stand. Devil, I don't care how I feel right now. I don't care how many tissues I'm going through. I believe in the Word of God. And I am not letting go of my confession. I am not letting go of my hope. I am not letting go of what the Word of God has taught me to do. But I am going to stand here in the midst of this and I am going to keep on and keep on and keep on. We don't want to be like the disciples who on the boat after Jesus quieted the storm turned to Him and says, Where is your faith. You see, that storm had worn them, worn them down so that their faith was gone. When you are facing a battle, and it's a tough battle, don't give in. Stay with it. Daryl, if you'll pull up on the screen for me because I didn't bring this one in. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. First Timothy chapter 6. And verse 6, take a look at this. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a powerful verse right there. Godliness with contentment 
When you get content, folks, people can't move you off as easy. Most times you get moved off of where you are supposed to be, it's because you become discontent. Husbands and wives get moved off of where they're supposed to be and the faithfulness to each other. Why? Because I became discontent. I walk away from a job that was doing good for me because I became discontent. Go on to verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, in a snare, and in many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now look at this verse here. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It is not wrong to be rich. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It is wrong that when you desire to become rich allows you to fall into temptations that say they will get you there. You're You're not being content with all godliness. You're moving into another area. So these wrong desires pull you off the place you're supposed to be into another. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, fight the good fight of faith. What we are in, folks, we're called soldiers. What we are in is a fight. When you have a fight, that means the enemy comes at you. And they're going to put up a fight. I mean, sickness and disease might even try and put up a fight. Certainly, demon spirits we saw put up a fight in the Word of God. Fight the good fight of faith. I believe it was Brother Hagin who used to tell us. It was either him or David Ingalls. One of them would, uh, would pass, pass that on. But I know David Ingalls put it in one of his songs. He said, a good fight is a fight that you win. How many can agree with that? You know, a, a good game is what? It's one that you won. A good game is not one that you lost. It may have had good aspects in the game, but it no longer becomes a good game because you lost. We like those games that we, we won. It makes it a good game. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. Don't just expect that every time that you go up against the enemy, the enemy just lays down. If that was the case, why did that storm last for three weeks that Paul was in? Why was Paul shipwrecked as often as he said he was? Why was he floating around in the deep? In the water. Floating around in the water. In the sea. They didn't have Coast Guard back then. If you were floating around in the sea for a while, I think that's pretty much it. No Coast Guard cutters coming to the rescue. No helicopters coming down. Nothing. You're on your own. But 
he didn't despair. Without food, without water, being beaten, imprisoned, all the things that he listed. It was a fight. And the enemy was putting up a fight against him. And every place he went, there was riots. Things were, were happening. You're called into a fight. Now, when you run into those times and you're facing something and it's tough, don't get discouraged. Just keep picture, picturing Paul. Now, remember in Mark chapter 4, the enemy tried to get Jesus to change his game plan. Jesus came into the earth with a game plan. All right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go around the earth. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to uh, free the, depre- the, the, the down, um, what do you call it, the, free those that are oppressed. And he listed different things they're going to do. You're going to work these miracles among the people. And then you're going to be turned in to the Gentiles. They're going to beat you, put you on a cross, and kill you. And on the third day, you will raise, but be raised. That's the game plan, right? So he does that for the three and a half years. But right in the beginning, the enemy came in Mark chapter 4 and wanted to side to, to, to detour him. Let's get you off into another plan. Tell you what, if you just bow down right here, right here, you bow down to me, I'll give you all of these things that you, you came for. I'll give you the authority of the earth. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. He tried to get him to change his game plan in Mark chapter 4, but he didn't do it. He succeeded with Adam. Has God really said? What was God's game plan? Adam, here's the deal. You live in this beautiful garden that I made, and you can eat of any tree in here that you want. <clears throat> Just uh, take care of the garden. Tend it. And uh, all the food you want is right here. Uh, just this one tree, this one tree right here in the middle, in the middle uh, don't eat it. Stay away from this one. All the other ones are yours, not this one. So what did the, the devil come in and do? He's trying to change the game plan. I don't think God has really said that you can't eat it. This tree, he succeeded there. Even with Elijah in 1 Kings 19, Elijah became discouraged. And fled for his life. That wasn't God's game plan. God's game plan was stand up before kings, stand up before leaders, and proclaim my word and get that nation to come back to me. But he became discouraged. I put this in your outline for you. One of the easiest signs that you have detoured from God's battle plan is discouragement. One of the easiest signs that you have detoured from God's battle plan is discouragement. Now watch this. Your speech becomes negative. Your speech becomes negative. I don't think I will ever get over this. I don't think I will ever feel good again. I don't think I will ever be able to breathe right. Begin to proclaim things like this. Your your talk becomes very negative. How long is this going to keep going on? Our talk becomes negative. It's not good. That'll happen. You're changing the game plan. What's the Word of God tell us about our speech? We've all learned it. We've heard it from... You haven't just heard it from me. You've heard it from other people. Brother Caps was one of the first ones I heard just talk on this relentlessly. Brother Hagen talked about it too, but relentlessly, Brother Caps would talk about this. 
about getting your conversation right, getting your words right. But your speech becomes negative. You have despair instead of hope. Follow God's game plan, you got, you got hope. I'm, I'm going here. I'm doing this. God's working this for me. I got this promise ahead. I'm going to have, I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have an offspring would be Abraham's confession. I'm going, he's going to declare in all these things that he's going to have. Despair, we have it though, instead of hope. You proclaim sadness instead of joy. This tells you that you're going along the, the wrong game plan. Instead of going around, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Glory to be to God. Praise the Lord. Instead of things like that, you're going around saying, I don't know if I want to keep on going. I'm just so sad. I don't know if all this God stuff is even working for me. I mean, look, I've studied the Word. I've been in the Word. What's it getting for me now? I'm not going anywhere. I'm still falling to these headaches, to this cold, to this flu. I don't know. You proclaim sadness instead of joy and declare the certainty of your defeat or bewilderment instead of God's promises. How do you do that? I don't think I'm ever going to know how to get out of this. I don't, I am so, I, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know where God is taking me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to get victory over this. Why does this keep happening to me? Why am I keep going after these same things? Why is the enemy doing? We declare with our mouth bewilderment and defeat. That's not what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to declare his promises. What's his promise to say? Word of God promised that he has a good plan for my life. The Word of God has says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And I keep going on and, 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 and as I'm declaring those things, what's the enemy saying? These steps, these steps are ordered of God. This is God's plan for you. This is what God wanted you to walk in. See, he's trying to combat it. He's trying to change the game plan. Because if he can change the game plan, he can mess you up. How many of you ever watched a sports team? And you say, why did they leave the game plan? Now, I know most of you don't follow football a whole lot, but I think I can describe this one to you because it just happened this year. How many remember Coach Andy Reid? Beloved coach of Philadelphia Eagles. Folks, folks loved him a, a whole lot. But he had some tendencies when he was in the playoffs. And one of those tendencies was he would stop running the ball. He had one of the best running backs in the, in the league. But he would stop running the ball. This year he was in the playoffs again with his new team, Kansas City Chiefs. And they had established, I believe it was, a 21-point lead. They were cutting through the other team's defenses like a hot knife through butter. And I think, wasn't it before the first quarter? Anybody remember? Was it before the first quarter? I think they had a 21-point lead before the end of the first quarter. Now, if you're in the playoffs and you have a 21-point lead at the end of the first quarter, the end of the first quarter, you've got three more quarters to go. If you multiply that on out, that's more points than anyone has scored in the playoffs yet. That's a lot of points. That would be about 84 points. 
in the in the whole game. They did not score 84 points. Now, one of the things about football is once you establish a lead, you begin to run the ball because running the ball beats up the other team more, is easier on your team, you are less prone to turnovers, and it chews up more clock. Andy Reid, from the end of the first quarter when he had a 21-point lead until I think the end of the second quarter, two whole quarters had run the ball, I believe the number was, five times. He threw the ball and threw the ball. And they had one of the better runners in the league. Threw the ball, threw the ball, threw the ball. Ended up losing the game. After a 21-point lead, they didn't score anymore. I don't think they scored anymore or scored three points or didn't score much at all. I didn't watch the game. I just heard about it. You see, they changed the plan. If the enemy can get you to change the plan, He can talk you out of defeat. He can get you out of an area of certain victory and bring you into a place of certain defeat. If he can get you to change the plan. What's the plan in the Word of God? Know the promises of God. Study his Word. Let it develop hope and faith on the inside. Let your words come out of that hope and that faith and you declare where it is that God has taken you, not where you are. You declare with your mouth, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm going to be. You declare with your mouth things that are not there yet, like Jesus did. Lazarus, come forth. Said that to a dead guy. Stretch forth your hand. Take up your bed and walk. Your sins are are forgiven you. Go wash in the pool. He is constantly saying things, not based on how things are, but how things are going to be. So the enemy wants to get your words to be about where you are instead of about where you are going to be if he can get you to change the game plan. He can take away your victory. And that's what he wants to do. So when you face these times, and you are facing, a, it seems like, a greater onslaught. The enemy is trying to get you out of doing what God has told you to do. And if he can get you out of doing what God has told you to do, he has, first of all, he just to get you to stop doing it or slow it down. Once he does, he can start bringing other things in, and now he can start sinking you. That's his game plan. That's what he does. But he's got to, first off, stop you from doing what you've been trained to do. Don't let him do it. Fight the good fight of faith. Just know when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be a fight today. And I'm ready for it. When you wake up tomorrow, in the morning, Monday morning, don't wake up and say, oh, I hope it's easier today than it was because it was so hard yesterday. No, you wake up and say, it's a fight today and I'm ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> This, this is where I love, I love being a Star Trek, Star Trek, not Star Wars, Star Trek. Some of my favorite characters on it. Worf was one of my favorite characters because he made Klingons likable. And I love the phrase of a Klingon. When they're ready to go into war, you know what a Klingon would say to each other? Today is a good day to die. 
Now, if you go into the battle with that mentality, it is a good day to die. That just changes how you're going into battle. If you are facing an army of people who think this is a good day to die, that can set you back. That can be a little bit tough. But you see, a lot of times Christians, we're not looking at it that way. Oh, I, I hope he doesn't see me today. Oh, I hope he doesn't. Brother Hagin would talk about, uh, he would say it all the time, about divine health and declaring divine health and declaring that sickness has no part of him. And one lady came up to him and says, shh, say that so loud. He'll hear you. And he said, who will hear me? The devil. He says, well, he's the very one I'm saying it for. (laughs) Don't be afraid of a fight. The Word of God says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight it. Don't back down. Fight it. That's going to bring us over to James chapter 1. Now, I put this in your outline for you. This may not have brought you to this place, but it certainly will keep you there. Whatever you are doing that you're not supposed to, whatever game part of the game plan you have left off, it may not have brought you to the place of defeat that you are in your life. It may not have brought you to the place where something has the upper hand. It may not have brought you there, but it will keep you there. I put this in there for for the blanks there. What brought you to the place where you're at in the area of of a defeat in your life, what brought you in the first place is a lack of endurance. That's what got you there. What's going to keep you there is not doing what God said to do, not having the right confession, not studying the Word of God, not listening to the Spirit of God, not doing the things that we know, not declaring His promises, not walking in joy. In James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in the various trials. We've talked about this before. Count it all joy when you fall in the various trials. We don't like that, we don't like that verse, do we? Count it all joy when you fall. In the, why would you count it all joy when you fall in the various trials? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or, you can write this word in there for it, endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. You can get yourself to the point that when the music teacher comes and says, I want you to play the piano for five straight hours today. And instead of saying, five straight hours. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Five hours. Instead of that, you say, Joy, I'm going to play the piano for five hours today. And you count it all joy. Because I am going to do this for five hours. Your doctor tells you to walk. And instead of looking at and saying, I don't want to walk. I don't want to be on there for 15 minutes. You're looking at it and saying, I can walk for an hour now. Because you've increased your endurance. He says this, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. 
Because if you, it looks at it this way, if you want to practice the piano longer, all you have to do is sit at the piano and practice. If you want to run or walk longer, all you have to do is put on your shoes and go out and run. That's all you got to do. But if you want to increase your spiritual endurance, how are you supposed to do that? There is no spiritual treadmill. There's no treadmill you can get on and I'm just going to pick up my endurance here. You can't do it. Folks, there is no way for you to increase your spiritual endurance unless you face a trial. That's the only way you can, you can do it. The only way is to face a trial. So he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The only way that you can have that endurance, patience is the word here, but endurance, the only way you can have it is for your faith to be under test. You've got to get your faith under test. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So don't quit doing what you've learned to do. Keep doing it. You've learned to do it. Keep doing it. Keep doing that same thing. Develop that habit. Don't change what you're doing either. If you learned about confession, if you learned about declaring the promises, if you learned about having faith, if you learned about feeding, keep doing these things. When the devil comes and says, it's not working. Keep doing those things. Keep on enduring. And just think of it this way. The longer this test or trial goes on, the greater my endurance will be at the end. Are we still in this test and trial? Oh, this is great. I have an opportunity to keep myself going and to keep my endurance going stronger. So keep it up. Test and trials try to get you out of faith principles. That's what they want. Test and trials are trying to get you out of faith principles. The devil throws tests and trials for the purpose of getting you out of the principles of faith. Because as long as you keep staying in them, you have victory. So we, if, he, if you're now enduring one-day trials, we need, we need some two-day trials. A two-day trial is going to knock these people right out. Three-day trial, whatever it might be. I didn't get that in your outline for you. You can put it in there if you want to. But tests and trials try and get you out of faith principles. Conflicts and difficulties with people. How many have ever had conflicts and difficulties with people? Conflicts and difficulties with people try to get you out of love principles. Tests and trials try and get you out of faith principles. Conflicts and difficult people try and get you out of love principles. Remember the Word of God says this, Now abide these three. Faith, hope, and love. Tests and trials are going to try and get you out of faith principles. If they get you out of the faith principles, they will undermine your hope. And difficult people, conflicts with people, this will try and get you out of love. If these are the greatest things, if the enemy can get you out of love, and if he can get you out of faith, what's he done with your spiritual growth? He's totally taking you out of the game. So when you face a week, like some of you had this week, 
and you face sickness and disease and it didn't back down on you the way that you thought it should and things didn't quite go the way that you thought they should, you faced that battle longer. Don't sit there and let the devil tell you, well, you must be doing something wrong. Well, you sure are no good faith person yourself. And he starts hitting you with all these things. You stand up to him and said, I, can, I maintained my confession. I maintained my hope. I maintained my faith. I maintained going, the word, going over the Word of God. I maintained my confidence in my God. Where did I back down? Where did I lose anything? Devil, you're the one who lost because you didn't get your victory. And you go after him. And what you just did, folks, is that you just took yourself from a one-day endurance person to a three-day endurance person or a five-day endurance person. Folks, we still got Paul out. Paul's out there. He's on the three, four-week endurance principle. And I tell you what, the three weeks of, his, of being on a ship in a storm, I don't even see him phased. I don't know what his, his uh, endurance level was like. Can you imagine being on a boat three weeks facing the same storm, probably having the confession, probably having the, the, the speaking to that thing, and no change, and yet he is unmoved and unchanged at the end of it. How many of you got moved a little bit after three days? <laughs> so there's some room to grow. That's everybody, don't get discouraged about it. He said to count it all joy because you're going to increase your endurance. I'm going to increase my endurance. I had to get my endurance out from being so many days into, into more days. The only way I can do that is face some tests and trials. The devil's going to throw some stuff at you. That's all right. I'm going to increase my endurance. Don't let go of what you know you are to do. Hang on to them. What has the Word of God told you to do? Keep having that confession. Keep declaring the promises of God. Stay in faith. Don't get into that whiny voice. Don't get in there complaining. Don't, don't follow after Elijah. No one else is as faithful as me. I'm the only one. All you got. Now they want to kill me. Don't get into that whiny voice. God wasn't impressed with it, but Elijah. If Elijah couldn't pull it off, neither can I. Neither can you. Because Elijah was a, he was a much higher class Christian than we were. We weren't calling down fire. We aren't standing before kings and priests under threats. He's, he was quite a guy. Don't, don't give in to it. So if you had a tough week, don't say what's wrong with me. You come through those weeks and you say, I am not going to be discouraged. I am not going to be altered. I am not going to be changed. I'm going to keep on going, doing what God has taught me to do, what God has shown me. He has given me training. He has trained me in His Word. And I am not going to let go of what I have been trained to do because my body or my mind or something is a little tired. I am going to hang on. I'm going to keep on going. I'm not letting go. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, yes, we may have had a tough week. We may have gone through some things and it may have been difficult. It may have been hard. But you have made us to be stronger. And you told us in Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. We are going to fight that good fight. We're going to keep going after what you told us to go after. We're going to stand on the word. We're not going to be moved. 
We're not going to let the enemy change the game plan. We're not going to let him have the success he did with Adam. We're not going to let him have the success he did with Abraham, getting him off the mark. But Abraham righted himself, got himself back into that place, and then he couldn't be taken off. He had great endurance. Our endurance is increasing. Glory be to God. We thank you for it. Before we go here this morning, it is our communion Sunday. Ask our ushers to come. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples in the upper room. And he said, as often as you come together, or as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Because he knew we would forget. It's so easy to forget one part of salvation or the other. For many people today, it's hard for them to see the healing side of Jesus. It's easier to see the forgiving side. But there's a healing side and a forgiving side. And so he instituted this to remind us about it. In the beginning, before supper began, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of, of him. Let's do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Because what Jesus did on his body, he took our sickness. He took our disease. He put it in his body. He gained authority for us over those things. And even though we may take authority over something, and we may have to say it to it, and say it again, and say it again, and say it again, just as Jesus did with the man in the in the tombs. I don't care how many times you got to say it. In the name of Jesus, you need to go. And you keep speaking to it. And you don't let the enemy come in and change the game plan. You don't let the enemy come in and says, is that really what you shouldn't be shouldn't it be different? Is that really what you're supposed to do? No, you you hang on to it. And you do what God said to do. Has everybody been served? Let's do this in remembrance together. The body of Jesus Christ broken for us. Then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. His blood. No longer covering sin, but wiping it out. The ransom has been paid. Let's drink and remember together what Jesus did on the cross is all we need for forgiveness of sins. Let's receive that together. Glory over to God. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you. Because of what he did, we are saved 
which means we are set free from sickness and disease and we are set free from sin and the penalty of it. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And I do see a prayer report up here. And we had um, a number of people who, who didn't make it, who did get word to me. I heard uh, Kenny and Bobby were not going to make it today. Susan and Em, Anna were working on some things, and they weren't able to make it today. I think Susan gave another reason. She was going to be making it, and then she didn't make it, and I heard that she wasn't going to make it, but I didn't hear what that reason was. Thank you. Uh, I heard from Stacy as well. Stacy was uh, had a, one of us who had a very rough week and was going through a number of things, and I was all planning on, on being here. Even she said she made a strawberry cheesecake for us for, for that. So, uh, and in their absence, we're not going to have that strawberry cheesecake, but she said she'll make it for us another time. <laughs> Isn't that good? You folks that are tuned in on the Facebook, if, you, if you've uh, typed, uh, chimed in, let us know. We'll, we'll let everybody know who's, who's uh, tuning in from where. Phyllis Jacobs had a prayer report. Overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony, I am healed and recovered and back to myself. Amen. Ento, I am so thankful to God for his protection over me. In the past couple of months, he has saved and protected me from so much. The most recent was from a deer that dashed out from the bushes and ran into the side of, ran into the side of your car. <laughs> the poor deer. <laughs> I hope he is all right. However, praise the Lord for protecting and preserving me. My car was also unaffected by the incident. Wow. That is, that is pretty remarkable right there. Glory, glory to God for that one. All right. Um, anybody tune in from Chamin? What's that? You want to? Sh- What's that? Oh, okay. They just can't see them on there. Who was the first one you read off? Oh, okay. Oh, they're up, they're out in um, where are they? Florida. I saw a Facebook post. They were up in Florida right now. I thought, well, that's a nice little place to to be. Uh, so if you hopefully you heard those, I think everybody here heard them. Probably didn't hear them on the Facebook thing, but they can probably see them better than we can. So it's nice having you all join us here for today. We're going to be uh, changing the church around. If we can use some of your help to get the chairs out, tables set up. Uh, hopefully you can s- stick around. We've got some things to go over with you. We uh, put on the Facebook page, we did uh, institute the, uh, the giving app, Tithely. We're going to go over more of that here today. If you want, want to continue to give in the church by check and cash, please. We are not trying to change anyone from doing that. I really prefer that everybody just keep doing that same method for the rest of the... It is so much easier for us than to change and go some of the, another direction. But that's not always the way that it works. A lot of people are not even getting checks anymore and they want to carry cash around. So we wanted to have another way for that to, uh, to work. And so I've looked at the different services that are out there. The one that I really liked is still not available in Pennsylvania. This one seems to be pretty easy. We're going to go over the details of this in the, in the meeting today.